Welcome to another edition of the Quick Two Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Shanley. With us today, we have simply one of the best college basketball coaches in America. He's racked up 337 wins at his alma mater, a three-time Big Ten regular season champion, along with the Big Ten tournament in 2009, a four-time Big Ten Coach of the Year, and the 2019 NABC National Coach of the Year. Matt Painter of the Purdue Boilermaker joins us. Coach, welcome aboard. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, first off, I want to talk about something that's kind of prevalent on a lot of people's minds when they think of Purdue, and that's the Purdue culture, what it means to be a Purdue Boilermaker. How do you go about kind of maintaining that culture? Because it seems like you've basically picked up where Coach Katie left off and just made everything um, a continuation of what he had done for 25 years. Well, I think that's, you know, for me, um, like when you're a young coach and you take over, I had, a, I had an advantage, I felt, just because of the blueprint, you know, of, of Purdue basketball. And uh, being able to be an assistant for Bruce Weber at Southern Illinois for five years, um, I, I think those, a lot of times when you get into coaching, a lot of people are kind of searching for their identity as a coach or whatever. Like when you play at Purdue and you play for Coach Katie and you're around a lot of people um, that were his assistants, and you know, I think you have an advantage just because of. You know, the one thing that anybody comes to ask you, like, what's the secret of basketball? Um, the answer is always, you know, there is no secret. You know, you, you got to be able to work hard. You got to, you got to have productive guys. You got to obviously have good players. I'm yet to find a really good coach with a bunch of bad players. You know, you have to have good players. I mean, it's pretty simple as that. But with that, you know, you have to have um, the flexibility plus the structure. I know that kind of goes against those words. Kind of go against each other but just having that structure and uh, the understanding of, of guys um, having a dream we always talk about having two dreams one through education and then one through basketball so just kind of that blue collar hard-nosed approach but yet you know let's make our hard work fun that's something I've anybody that's ever been around me has heard me say that a million times like you know if you just look at it as hard work and it's all going to be biology class and you're going to look at the clock and man, this is going to be miserable. Like, you know, you've got to find guys that basketball is their passion, but also understand big picture things of treating, you know, everybody right, uh, getting your education, you know, looking after other people, being a good teammate, being a good person. You know, all those things go into it. So I was very fortunate to be around Coach Katie and Coach Weber, and we've always just, you know, kind of handled our program that way. I'll never forget of thinking that this was so profound but yet simple when I was younger. And I really didn't think too much of it, but Coach Katie had three rules. And that was be on time, try your best, and act right. And if you just kind of think about the big picture, that's like, well, you know, something your dad would say to you. You know, you'd be like, well, whatever. Like, you just kind of blow it off and you move on. Like, you just move on. You're like, no. And then all of a sudden, you become a coach or you become in charge, and you're like, yeah, if you can just be on time and you try your best and you act like you have some sense, you know, you're a good basketball player. You know, good things probably would happen. But I think as you go on, that's when we all make mistakes or a team makes mistakes or you get off the grid a little bit, no matter if that's in sport or in life, it's, it's normally because you did it to yourself. And uh, just trying to kind of stick with some simple 
know, principles and of a program and that, that, you know, that Purdue basketball culture is just getting guys that play hard and play together and have fun. And, um, but the recruitment is so important, you know, getting guys in the room that want to be there and get the big picture of things because you're always going to try, no matter who's on your team, every coach does this. They all try to get guys and get them to come together and make good decisions and do the right thing. Everybody does that. But there's 18 years of life there before you get them in college that if you recruit people that already have those values and their family has that values or their high school coach had that values, then, you know, you're going to benefit from that. But if you don't get somebody that has those values, they might say all those things, but if they really don't have those, then you're, you're starting over a little bit. And that's hard. That's hard to do. It's hard to erase those 18 years. So you want those 18 years to work to the benefit of your program and you want them to understand like you know this is how we're going to do things here but also kind of getting back to having the flexibility to understand each person is different each player is different and we all got to come together and respect each other and understand you know because recruiting has to be about winning too sometimes recruiting is like how are you going to use me where do you see me all these things and those are good questions but you know what about us winning a championship what about us going to the final four what about us? You know, those things are important. Winning's important because the more team success you can have, the more individual success is going to come from. And I think that's been proven. With the recruiting aspect, we hear so much talk about fit. How do you assess fit in terms of how a 16, 17, 18 year old kid is going to right. be when they're asked to do things at 20, 21, 22, right. you know, a lot of people can, you know, watch an EYBL game or a gauntlet game and say, man, I think that kid's talented enough to play at the high major, but it might not be the right fit. How do you go about figuring that out in recruiting? Well, you know, you try to figure it out, but you also try to get as much, you know, face-to-face time with them. You simply tell them, this is what our program is about academically, socially, basketball-wise. And so you're getting them to hopefully come to your school, but you're also, there's a part of you that should be pushing people away that don't fit, you know, because because it's hard to gauge. It's not a simple thing. It's an inexact science, and sometimes it's hard to gauge because things get camouflaged. You know, how many times have you heard in the scouting and the recruiting, he's a good kid, he's a good kid, he's a good kid. They're not all good kids. You know, you want to be good kids, but it's like, you know, when I was their age, I made mistakes. I did foolish things. Like, you know, when you would look at it and then you get people that are that way, that keep their nose clean, work hard, go to class, you know, you know, think about other people, take care of other people. That, that's a good kid. And, and, and so, like, I think it, it's really hard because there's, there's a lot of dynamics that, that go into it. But just trying to get somebody who loves the game of basketball when it comes to fit, when the basketball piece of it, like you got to be competitive, man. You got to have a competitive spirit to you. Um, you got to love the game. Um, it doesn't mean you like can't have other interests or whatever. But you you find those guys that you know might play because they're tall. Uh, you know might play just because they're good. They're talented. They're, they're whatever. But they don't have that love. At some point, the talent, you know, is going to you know flatten out a little bit. It's you know the water's going to find its level. And when it does, now they don't have that extra piece that means that much to them. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean something to them. They just don't have the same passion. You got to find those guys that love it. And you find those guys that love it and they have the physical ability, 
you know, good things are normally going to happen basketball wise. All these values that you've talked about that you look for, those are all the same values that were around with Coach Katie when you were a player in the early yeah. 90s, Craig. So it's really not a transition from the Coach Katie era to the Matt Painter area. This right. is just the Purdue basketball foundation that the program has been built on for, you know, 40 years, correct? Right. Yeah, no, that, that never changes. Your, your values, you know, never changes. There, there, there's certain things. I always say that now there's so many things that go on with, you know, guys changing AAU teams, guys transferring, you know, whatever. I say, well, the one thing that stays consistent is winning and how good you have to be to play at the next level once you get past college. You're not going to change that. You can transfer 10 times if you want. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You still got to be damn good to be able to play in an NBA game. You know, you might be able to get drafted. You know, you might be able to get even on the roster. But to be able to be in an NBA game and actually play and be in a rotation, you got to be really, really good. And so those things don't change. You know, values, you know, when you sit there and you, you talk about something, good family values, you know, somebody understands right or wrong, that, that doesn't change. Because you get, you get young people that do understand, but they're still – you know, they're young, they're mischievous. So it's like, they're going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean they're a bad kid at all. You know, we've seen a lot of good kids make mistakes. But when you get that pattern of behavior, you know, now you as a coach, you got to make a, you know, you got to make decisions. And that's a hard thing to do. That's, that's not something that's easy because some of our greatest stories, I mean, guys who have gotten into trouble, then they've got another chance. And then when they got the other chance, they made the most of it, got their degree, had a great career. Those are That's great. But if you do that a lot at young ages and you take that on too much and that is who they are, now you have the pattern of behavior and now you have, you know, more than a couple guys that are like maybe going in the other direction, you know, now that can, that can ruin uh, a basketball team. And so there's, there's, there's some things that happen that you take on and, you know, but there's also some things where you got to be careful, man. you got to make sure that you get guys that love basketball. I always say this about a criteria. You got your family, you got your religion, you got academics, you got basketball. If your social decisions leapfrog any of those four at any time, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. If you're partying and your social stuff and your, your decisions is going in front of your family, or it's going in front of your academics, you're in trouble. Trouble's coming your way. And you got to be able to uh, have some moderation, uh, be able to stay away from some things. Um, what do they say about moderation? Even moderation needs moderation. And then, so it's uh, it's uh, it's just something to – I try to talk openly with our guys from a social standpoint. I, I just – you know, I made mistakes when I was their age, you know, and, and not try to act like, you know, it's, it's their grandpa or I was perfect because I wasn't, but just try to be honest and be forthright and say, hey, here's where you're going through. Here's where you're going. You know, you got to open your eyes here. you got to make sure – that you make the right decisions to do the right things because at the end when you're in charge and you're the head coach you've got to make decisions that's best for Purdue basketball sometimes that's not best for individuals and they have to know that you got to be able to say that like hey we're not going to keep going in this direction but yet this is where a lot of growth has happened through mistakes guys make mistakes and they grow and so that's a beautiful thing that's what we want we want to be able to grow and learn hard lessons but if you don't learn hard lessons and you keep doing it and that's a pattern of behavior and that, that's what's that's what's hard. And that's what's difficult. But kind of getting back to everything you're talking about, big picture, the culture, the fit, about, you know, just trying to get the right guys in your program that understand, you know, what your program's all about. 
and, and just be as transparent as you can be. And that ties into my next topic. I've always thought one of the most amazing things about the success you guys have had is, yes, you've had stars, really talented players, but you've had guys who have been absolutely elite at doing one or two things and staying within that role. So my next topic I want is how do you go about getting buy-ins for roles? Because I'm sure there's been, you know, kids who want to do more, you know, kids who want a bigger role. How do you go about getting buy-in? When does that process start? When do you start talking about yeah. kids with the roles they are envisioning? Yeah. Well, they, you know, they set that. You know, the market doesn't set itself. You know, it's just like, you know, people don't understand that you don't sit around and, and before the season and say we're going to we're going to do x y and z this is how we're going to go about it It just evolves and then after you've coached a guy for a year or two and after you've worked on some certain things you know you want to be able to take strengths and make them stronger and take weaknesses and make them strengths and sometimes those weaknesses aren't going to become strengths and guys are sometimes will fight that and what you have to be able to do is after time if those weaknesses don't become strengths you've got to put those in the attic you know, and hide them behind the baseball cards because you're not good at that. And so there's there's no rule in the rule book that says if you're left-handed, you can't dribble with your right hand. You have to dribble with your right hand. You know, there just isn't. If you can't handle pressure, why can't you pass the ball, get the ball out of your hand so pressure doesn't bother you instead of just fighting pressure the whole time? So there's some things that someone thinks that they got to be a great all-around player, and that's what we try to do. We try to take guys and help them be great all-around players. But as time goes on, if they are, you know, short um, in some areas, just play to your strengths and stay away from those things. And so just trying to be as honest as you can about that. And that's hard sometimes, especially maybe like when scoring comes into play. Like everybody wants to score. Like sometimes you have guys and you never run anything for them. And they like thinking like, dang, like you never run something for me. But if you're on a team with Carson Edwards, Isaac Haas, Vince Edwards, Dakota Mathias, and P.J. Thompson's a starter, I never ran anything for P.J., because I always was trying to get the ball to Isaac. I was always trying to get Vince Edwards in an ISO. Dakota Mathias was, you know, maybe the best passer I've been around so far. We've got a kid coming in now, Ethan Morton, that can really pass. Um, and so, like, now you're just trying to get those guys in positions. Well, here he is. He doesn't get anything ran for him. Well, that, that's, that's the way it is. That's what's best for our team. But he was just on a really good team. Now, he has a great assist turnover ratio. He makes 40% of his threes. He's going to have to play off of those guys. Well, it's different for somebody like him because he comes from a basketball family. He's mature. Um, you know, he was one of those guys that, you know, was, was like an adult, you know, when he first started or whatever. Like, he, he's simply just trying to please you. And a lot of times guys, they get that confused. That, that That's one of the issues that happens with guys sometimes is they're not trying to please the head coach. You know, if you grow up in a family, I would hope to think you're trying to please your parents. Well, if you get on a team, well, now sometimes they're still trying to please their parents. You know, it's like, well, this guy's coaching your team. Like, shouldn't you? And I understand sometimes when you get on some ragtag, you know, teams and you're 8, 9, 10, 11 years old and, you know, it happens. But when you get into college and it's major college basketball, sometimes guys are trying to fit in with other players, trying to impress the other people on the team, trying to impress friends, trying to impress their own family about, man, they're not using me right or this isn't going or whatever. And at the end of the day, what does that got to do with winning? Because that's what we're trying to do here. Like, and there is another team out there. Like, we are trying to beat Wisconsin or Michigan State or Ohio State. We are trying to beat some really good players with some really good coaches. 
and like sometimes guys would fight me on things and when I first got there and said, hey, man, I got you. But Bo Ryan's not going to let us do that. And Tom Izzo's not going to let us do that. Like, you can sit there and say all you want and get in that argument, but you, you've not yet went, you know, into Lansing, Michigan and had to deal with all that. You know, and so, like, you have some experiences that they don't have. Um, and that's hard. Like, there's a one thing, especially, like, with a parent or someone's close to them. This will be my 28th year in coaching coming up. Um, be my 16th year as the head coach at Purdue, my 17th as, as a head coach. And I, I play. So, like, you know, and I got recruited before that. So, you, you have experiences. You know, so you're talking 33, 34 years total right in there of going to college games. I went to college games before that, too. How can I explain 35 to 40 years of my college basketball experience to somebody who's a parent that doesn't come to our practices or somebody who's really close to it? I can explain it to a coach probably a lot better. But how can I explain that? They're never going to understand because all my experience goes into my decisions. All my experiences go into my decision-making. You know, I can sit there and try to put it in layman's terms and say that to them about why I'm doing this or why I'm doing that. But they're sitting in the room with a bias. Like, they're not in there for Purdue to win. They're not in there to see what's best for our team. They're in there because they want the person that's close to them to have success. And I feel the same way about my kids. Like, when I go to Little League games or whatever they're doing, I want my kids to have success. I'm not sitting there and I'm at the core going, boy, I hope they win. You know, I just I love my kids. I just, I just want them to do well. And so we're all that way. There's, no, there's nobody out there that way. So, you know, when it gets to roles and it gets to things, I always say just be as honest as you can be. And sometimes when you don't know, you got to say that. Because what happens is sometimes when you don't know who you're starting, that could be an awful thing or a great thing. You know, if you got three starters, your, your team's probably going to stink. But there's some teams out there that got seven or eight starters. You know, they got a good team, you know, but now they can only start five. That's a better problem than having three. But you still got a problem either way. But being honest with those guys, I always felt that way about Ryan Klein. I'd say it every now and then, um, but I also didn't want to, you know, say it too much just because he wanted to play. You don't want to hear all that. But I always looked at him as a starter. I always trusted him that way in terms of his basketball IQ and how he played and understanding what's going on. And it was frustrating for him. You know, Rayfell Davis was a good player. Kendall Stevens was a good player. Uh, Dakota Mathias and Carson Edwards were, were really good players. And so, like, he was in that fray with those guys. And so it, it got to be, you know, it got to be tough, um, you know, at, at times. But just, you know, trying to be as honest as you can to get guys to understand Here's what we need to do. But there's some constants in basketball that everybody has to do. You know, you know, you got to be a sprinter both ways. You know, all the time, man, you, you gotta you gotta be sprinter. You gotta be happy for your teammates. All right. When we win, no matter what happens, you gotta be happy. We win a game and we walk in there and someone's not happy, that's on them. That's on them. Because they're not happy for other people. And sure, you might want to play some more or do whatever. And I've always said that to guys and say, hey, you're mad about 18 minutes. 18 is not the smallest number. 18 is not the smallest number. So you can get mad all you want. Somebody's probably got it worse. Like, figure it out, man. Get in practice. Work on your game. You know, work on your game. Put in time on your game. Keep doing it. Make your free throws. Don't turn the basketball over. Always be a sprinter. Be a rebounder. Everybody needs to rebound. Everybody's a defensive rebounder. And so, like, just some of those constants to say, hey, even when you're struggling, you'll find your way through it, man. 
keep a positive attitude and you keep putting time in. So many guys now, it's hard because they want to jump a step. They want to microwave their development. You can't microwave your development. Your development has to go at, at about the same rate unless you're just in an elite special company. But you got to outwork people. So when guys talk about being pros and they don't put in pro-type hours, like they see guys and they don't understand how they got there. They worked. Sure, they might have some God-given ability and some physical gifts, but they worked, man. They worked. Those guys that are elite, Kevin Durant of the world, LeBron James, those guys are absolute workers, and they're so intelligent. They got a high basketball IQs, and and so I, I think sometimes they lose, young people lose that about greatness, and you know, and sometimes your physical ability is not going to be where theirs is. So think about how hard you need to work now. So just trying to keep that in mind. But like I said, I'm kind of beating a dead horse here. Just be as honest as you can be with your players. Just just be honest. It'll hurt their feelings to a degree, but they'll have respect for your honesty. With the roles, does that come up in recruiting at all when you're recruiting kids saying, here's what, or do you kind of wait until they get there, see how they fit, and let that develop organically? Well, they want the one thing that you can do is you can project to the best of your ability. That's what recruiting is. Like, I'm going to project how I see you. But then again, there can't be any promises because the game is a game of production. You produce better than the next guy, you're going to play. You know, even though you might be more talented, you might have more of an upside, whoever's the most productive is going to play. We're, we're in the business of winning basketball games. So you, you have to be forthright and honest. I think that happens to a lot of coaches through the years because, you know, now they go and recruit. If they don't oversell it, they're not going to get them. Then things happen, and I, I'm not a I'm not a proponent of that. I, I would rather it's not over or underselling. It's just projected to the best of your ability, but yet it's competition. Like you have to be more productive than other people. I think I think when you do that, I was just on a call with a recruit, and I said the same thing. I said, "Here's where I see you, but you got to beat people out. You got to beat people. I'm going to say the same thing to them too. Make sure you know that. Like they're they're not going to come and say, "Hey, man, Coach Painter promised this and he promised that." No, this is where he projected me. This is what he thought was going to happen. But he also, you know, finished it off by saying, like, now I hope you understand, like, you know, there, there's nothing promised here. Like, you, you got to go in there and win that battle. Some guys can play multiple positions. I think that helps them. You know, anytime guys can play multiple positions or defend multiple positions, that's going to help. You know, you want to play 30 minutes? You don't want to play 30 minutes out of 40. You want to play 30 minutes out of 80 or 30 minutes out of 120. You know, you get those really versatile guys that can play three spots. You know, that really, really helps guys to, to understand and, and process, you know, where they're going to get their minutes and understand that. But if they're if they're a guy and they're wired right, once they get there with their teammates and they're playing and they're competing, whether it's 21 minutes or 24 minutes, you know, they're, they're not going to – that's not going to worry them. You know, if you're, wired, if you're wired towards winning, you know, it, it's all going to come out in the wash if you put your time. Going on to the offensive system that you guys have, it's been you guys have been a top twenty-five, you know, top five offense in terms of efficiency for the past several years. How do you go about designing a, a system that can capitalize on all your players' strengths? Because you've done it with a post-focus offense with you know Juwan Johnson, AJ Hammonds, Caleb Swanigan, Isaac Haas. And then you've done it with a perimeter-focused offense. You did it when Robbie Hummel, his fifth year, and then your Elite Eight run with Carson Edwards as Ryan Klein. 
was done more around the perimeter. How do you go about designing things kind of on a year-to-year basis depending on the strength of your team? Right. Well, both those teams that you talked about that was more perimeter-based, we're good decision makers. And so, um, you know, finding guys that don't turn the basketball over, finding guys that make their free throws, then finding as many people as you can get that can shoot 40% from three to go with a good big guy, that's a pretty good recipe right there. And that's what we try to do. And now when you get there and people develop, um, circling your sets and circling what you do through your best decision makers and your best scores. Some guys can finish plays and start plays. Some guys can start plays and not finish. You know, each, you know, some guys are just finishers. And so like now just constantly putting them into positions. Uh, Carson Edwards could go either way, but he was much better off his left hand. You know, Ryan Klein could really go either way, but he could still come at funky angles and be able to kind of fly fish and get shots off. And so, like, those look like tough shots for a lot of people, but for them it was, it was pretty comfortable. With that team, Matt Harms was a great diver. You know, Nogel wasn't skilled, but Nogel athletically could get a post up, could get putbacks, could get out on the break. Grady was someone that could get a lot of offensive rebounds and could make open threes. So now just playing through Carson and playing through Ryan as that next guy and then getting Matt to the rim and a lot of different actions, protected the rim, gave space, or opened the rim up, just depending on how they wanted to defend things. So when we went back with Rob in that fifth year after each one and Jawan left, you know, we were number one in the country in fewest turnovers. That's where it started. We got a lot of cracks at it, man. We didn't turn the basketball over. 39% of our uh, scoring came from threes, and we shot 39% from three as a team in that year. Uh, we couldn't get a rebound. We weren't that good defensively, so we schemed up a little bit, um, kind of found our way, and uh, just tried to, you know, we had two different games where we had under five turnovers at home and lost. And so it kind of showed how good we were in one area, but we struggled in other areas. We struggled to rebound. Um, but no, just, you know, it just makes sense to get the ball to A.J. Hammonds or Carl Landry or those guys deep. You know, anytime you've got a good guy that's physical – Isaac Haas, Biggie, you know, that you can get the ball to him deep. A lot of good things are happening. I know that it goes away from that, especially in professional basketball with those guys. But if somebody like Shaq came back around, I bet you more people his size would, would, would make rosters, but you'd have to defend him. Um, there's just not somebody like that anymore. There's not, you know. And so anytime you got somebody that big, if you work towards getting to the rim, being physical at the rim, doing different things of that nature, you're going to get more layups. They're going to come in to stop them more, and you're going to get more kick out inside, outside threes. Um, you're going to get the other team's big man in foul trouble more. You're going to get to the free throw line more. There's so many positive things, you know, that come from that. And now when you put skill around and good decision makers around that, now you've got to play off of that. There's times when we had those four seniors with P.J., Dakota, Vince, and Isaac. It was like, you know, Carson improved so much. Sometimes we wouldn't go to some of those guys. Vince might not have as many things ran for him. Isaac might not have as many things ran for him because Carson developed so much. But it's hard to have four quality decision-maker scores and run a bunch of stuff for all four of them in the course of one game. It's really difficult to do. But that was our luxury with that team. And uh, each team's a little bit different. Jawan and uh, Etwan um, and Rob together. Rob really played off those guys. He was an All-American, and he played off of them. We'd run a little bit for him here and there. Uh, we ran a lot of things for Jawan, especially his last year. And uh, But we ran a lot for four years for each one more. He was very good on wing ball screens. 
and uh, can really score. So each year is a little bit different, but you're going to circle around your best guys. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult when you have a, like a pretty good balance. You know, we might run more motion in those situations. So it, it, just, it just really depends. But, yeah, we don't have one way that we do things. We're just trying to, you know, you get somebody who can score, you get a couple guys that can score, just playing off of different actions um, that, that we feel that they can be successful. And speaking of the action, something that I think is really interesting about what you guys do in terms of your your playbook you guys don't have plays you just have code words for actions does that allow you to kind of mix and match and run the same thing out of a ton of different looks to kind of help disguise things no question yeah and, you know, we you know we have, we have different we have the same actions run with different looks to start with just trying to manipulate the defense as much as we can to think that we're going to somebody or going in another direction we do it with kind of our uh, our, our series or our families um, for post-ups. We've got three or four of those that we do for post-ups and just a couple different, like, familiar sets that we've ran the whole time with a lot of different actions. They're like, okay, here, this, this is coming. This play is coming. And now when it comes, it, it finishes 12 to 15 different ways. So they might be able to pick that out. But as we get into it, they don't know how it's going to end. And then what we do after we, we run it, and we don't get what we want. We really have tried to work towards, okay, now let's finish it with a triple screen on the baseline after we don't get it. Instead of just waving a big guy out and set a ball screen like the rest of the world does. Um, now, like, you know, Carson and Ryan were so good at that stuff. And then we would do that from a misdirection standpoint. Like, run a play, not get it. Carson comes off a triple, and the defense just shifts and goes with him. Then as the defense shifts, we misdirection and throw it back have an ISO, have a jumper, have a post-up out of that. So, and I'm not saying that we don't ball screen at the end of plays because we do at times, but it just can't be every single time. Um, I, I think people really lose their efficiency when if you knock them out of what they really want to do, it's just going to be a ball screen and that's it. Unless you just have a tremendous lead guard who can score and create for others. And with the, you mentioned the low turnover rate that you guys had on some of your better teams. How do you go about teaching reading defenses and kind of making defensive wrong, defenses wrong to lead to those low turnover rates and get your guards to understand, hey, here's how you go about not turning the basketball over? Um, you know, watching a lot of film, you know, harping on them about being fast but being under control, you know, doing a lot of dry runs of things and not being casual while you're doing dry run things. I mean, catching the ball with two hands being fundamentally sound, throwing the ball to a target hand on a post-up, not not messing around. A lot of times guys from a concentration standpoint will mess around and just, you know, jump them at that time. This is important. Like being able to run something with no defense um, and and being efficient is important because you're creating a good habit. That's what you want to be able to do is just keep creating good habits and stress, watch film with them, talk about things. But also, you know, PJ would have one turnover – in a two-week period, whenever you had that one turnover, I'd say, hey, you know, we don't have you out there to do that. Don't turn the ball over. He'd look at me sideways like, I haven't turned the ball over in 15 <laughs> days. You just did, you know. And so, like, just say, hey, man, like, there's got to be some non-negotiables. And, you know, some of those non-people say, well, you know, you want some turnovers from certain guys. Certain well, No, no, not, not really. I don't think we should ever turn the basketball over. And so, like, when you have that standard, 
Um, it's just like boxing out. If you have a great standard as a coach and boxing out, your guys are probably going to box out. You know, if you have a great standard on sprinting, your guys are probably going to sprint. Like, you know, have a standard of excellence in what you want. But you can't have a standard of excellence for everything. Like, you can't emphasize the entire game. But what you emphasize, you're going to be good at. And that's just something we put time into and we've emphasized. Going kind of on the other end of that of efficiency is you've had some some big-time scorers play for you. Etwan Moore and Carson Edwards at the guard spot and then players like Juwan Johnson and, and Caleb Swanigan uh, in the front court. How do you go about letting them do what they do and, and figure out ways to just let them score the basketball and right. and live with maybe there might be some, some bumps along the road, but right. how do you go about balancing that? Well, I think for anything, like, you know, Juwan Johnson grew into it. So, like, you know, he's a guy that comes and averages five points his first year, doesn't play as much had to get a little physically stronger. Then all of a sudden, he's a three-time, you know, all-Big Ten player, best player in our league. Um, at the end, for him, he, he just got really good, you know. And so, like, he could do more when he finished, like most people, than when he could, when we could start. But he always could shoot. It was a little unorthodox looking, but it was, it was very fluid for him. So it's one of the things I had talked about when we recruited him to our coaches. Like, you know, hey, we got to work with him. And then once you're around him and you see him shoot every single day, I'm like, you got to leave him alone. Like, you know, he can make those. Like, even though he gets twisted and turned sometimes with his body, you know, he was a really good shooter. So just trying to get him into catching and shooting on the perimeter, uh, being physical and trying to get the contact, because if he got to a certain point, he normally could go over people and score. Um, And and so just trying to put him into those type of positions. Um, But also, like, when you got to Etuan or you got to Carson Edwards – constantly showing them and we did more so because analytics is more prevalent today than it was when Etuan was here of just showing Carson about how good he was you know in certain areas and then showing him other areas that he was doing that he should probably stay away from you know that that was hard because Carson would take that as a challenge that he couldn't do something when in reality you're just saying hey like you know when you catch and shoot three or you play off your left hand or when you use a ball screen and reject it, you're really successful. When you use a ball screen, period, and you split them, your numbers drop. You know, when you go to your left off a ball screen, your numbers go up. But any type of that, when you just dribble down the court and transition without a ball screen, his numbers weren't that good. And, you, and, and we all know moments when, like, you know, he buried, dribble up 30 footers. You're like, wow. But, like, when a ball screen would come into play there, his numbers just, they just, they boomed, man. They, they went way up. It was it was little eerie because there's not a lot of difference between somebody coming up and acting like they're setting a ball screen he just shoots over them versus dribbling down just shooting you know there's not a whole lot of difference but yet one of them had a really good percentage and the other one uh didn't have a good percentage so trying to get him to to see some of that and just say hey if you can get as many shots doing these you know five things that would really help us and not even trying to eliminate the others even though i tried to eliminate them at times just minimize them just like, you know, you can't have eight shots in a game that you normally don't make, you know. You know, you, you, you can have two, three, you know, but don't have eight of them. And so, like, when he would start to get up and shoot, you know, 20, 22 times and go, like, eight for 22, but take a bunch of good ones, but they just – he didn't have a great shooting thing, I would always try to reinforce that it, that's okay, you know, and, and just try to make sure – because when he keeps doing it, he's not going to have eight for 22s, then he's going to have 14 for 22s. You know, he's gonna his numbers are gonna always uh, but 
him, he was a worker. Like there's none, there's nobody that you mentioned that didn't work really hard. You know, so Caleb Swanigan worked on his game. You know, catch and shoot threes, he had to improve in between his freshman and sophomore year. He did that. But he was such a good passer. He was physical. He got in great shape that last year. And that was a process for him just, you know, through the years. So, um, you know, Robbie Hummel really played off a lot of guys. So those are the, the five guys that are actually on All-American teams, not like Hummel mentioned All-Americans. Um, th- th- those, you know, those five guys to go along with Etwan and Carson um, at the guards. And you had Rob Chawan. Uh, Carl Landry was so strong. He was the strongest guy we've had. A.J. Hammonds was probably the most talented um, guy we had. So you could get the guy you, when they were right and you got the ball in, into like certain positions with them, they were going to get fouled or score or just miss. You know, they just were, you know, they, they were pretty good. They, both those guys were, were really talented. How much is it a balancing act? We talked about in the last little bit about your sets and actions and all that. How much is it a balancing act of you trying to figure out what to run for those guys versus just letting them play off their natural instincts? Yeah, well, we normally just go off our instincts through transition and run motion. Um, so you're going to get, you know, more instinctive plays um, after your sets break down or you get into transition. So that's how we really kind of balance it. And each team and each person is a little bit different. Um, you know, Carson um, is the most recent, so it's easier to talk about him. But, like, his decision-making wasn't great when he was kind of trying to do everything we asked him to do. When he just, you know, kind of stayed laser focused on just scoring, just he's a better decision maker that way. So as time went on, you're like, hey, man, just score. Just go ahead and score. Just go. Just do your thing. But he also, he has to recognize the spacing, when to go, when not to go. Uh, whenever that spacing was good for him, and he was really successful, and that really helped. So each guy's a little bit different, but and each team's a little bit different. But we really just tried to the playoff instincts and playoff our motion rules. And there's rules to our motion. Whether a ball screen comes or a down screen comes away or a back screen, um, there's different actions that we use, quick hits. Um, we do a, you know some different things there. So our guys would see that, read that, know how to play with it, know how to space out of it, know when to dive, when not to dive. We throw the ball in the post a lot, so then we have rules when the ball goes in the post. So just playing off your rules but also playing off the defense and playing off your instincts, you do it enough. You know, you, you, you learn to have a feel or, you know, a lot of those guys had a feel before one thing that is, I think, in this age, we all all know that college basketball has, some people call it an epidemic, but the transfer transfer portal. And you guys have had a very, historically, you know, throughout the years, a low transfer rate out of your program. And I know team chemistry is something that, you know, you are harping on that goes back to, you know, recruiting with the Purdue culture and, and the roles and stuff. How do you go about understanding the chemistry and how to build that amongst your team? Um, I think it just comes through your practice and your time that you spend with guys. You know, we're constantly trying to bring in people to help our players in a lot of different uh, areas in and around the game, but just, you know, spending time with them, being there, but also not um, wearing them out too. like, let them have a balance, let them have, you know, a balance between, you know, academics, basketball, campus life, and just trying to get, you know, well-rounded guys. Um, you know, in, in basketball, about the transfer stuff, you know, you got to be able to – you got to be able to recruit them and get them. you got to be able to keep them, and then you got to be able to coach them. But if you can't keep them, you can't coach them. 
I know that's simple, <laughs> but I feel for I feel for people out there, especially at lower levels, because it's really hard. Because young people don't grow up and dream about playing at a D two school or a low major school or mid major school. Not been at all those levels. They just don't. They grow up wanting to play in the high major, playing March Madness, playing elite schools. And so now when you can transfer and there's that freedom and that flexibility to transfer, there's people that make those statements say, oh, I think they should be able to do that. But it doesn't come from what's best for them because they normally leave through adversity. And should there at times guys be able to transfer because they picked the wrong school or something happened? Yes, without question. But when it's more of people just everybody's doing it because they grew up in a culture of change and that's what our guys grow up in they leave aau teams they leave high school teams they leave prep school teams so this isn't anything new you know that, that's happening it's just grown and grown and now we're at such high numbers but at the end of the day like when you compare the people that leave versus the people that stay and the success that they have people that leave will, will have some success but do they have the same level of success that people that stay in the numbers? Not even close. It's not close, especially when it comes to draft picks, how good you are, how you do later in professional basketball. It doesn't mean people can't have some success and there's not some outliers out there that do make it. But for the most part, you're running from something. You just are. You know, It's different than like being homesick or I went somewhere and I absolutely didn't play and things of that nature. So that piece of things, you know, and we've had a really, like you said, we've had a, I always say that, you know, we, we either had the fewest amount in our league since I've been here or we're really close. I really don't know the numbers, but I know my numbers. Um, I don't know their numbers, but it's a really low number. So for us, when we had two guys leave, it's like their accomplishments at our place, if you just put that into a bundle and said, okay, here's what these two guys did, people would look at you at a cookout like, I mean, that's unbelievable. Those guys are really, really successful. And then you name them captains, and then they leave. And, and that's what, like, you know, it, I just think one of the greatest honors you can have is being the captain of a team, you know, being a captain of a, a Purdue basketball and a Big Ten team. And so, like, those things, like, you're supposed to lead us when you're a captain, not leave us. <laughs> and so, to me, like, you know, maybe an overreaction and, and – uh, with some of it, but I, I, I don't believe that. I just believe that this is what young people are striving to get, and these people have it, and they've had it. You know, they've won championships. They've been to Sweet 16s. They've been to Elite Eights. They've been named captain. They've been a silver medal on the World University team. Like, you know what I mean? Like, those are a lot of accomplishments. They've been on a team that had the most wins in school history. You know, we got the most Big Ten championships of any Big Ten school, and they were on the team that had the most wins in a season in the history of Purdue basketball. And so like when you have that kind of success, that just kind of shows you where we are in our culture of change. Yeah, and you made a comment on an interview you had with Dan Doggett, and I'm not going to rehash the whole the whole interview after those two guys left, but you said I think we got better and I think a lot of people took it as negative being against those kids, but I think, you know, to me it said we have, you know, if people don't want to be there it's better for us if they're not there you know yes. go and search your happiness but in terms of our program if people mm -hmm. don't want to be there you know we're not putting handcuffs right. on them and, and tying them to the locker room door yeah, yeah that's the whole thing that i've always said when we sign a, a player I was, we got better today 
because we signed somebody who's a good player who wants to be at Purdue. And when somebody leaves, and they, you know, we got better today because now we have someone who doesn't want to be there. If somebody doesn't want to be there and they stay there, that, that that's where your issue is. That's where your issue is. So like, yeah, that's it's exactly the point. That's something that we've always talked about. Coaches talk about it all the time. Hey, we got better today, you know. But if you got someone in your locker room that doesn't want to be there or kind of gets back to your roles, it's like. You know, I, I think with the guys that we had, they had such success as sophomores. Now they're stepping into another role. In Matt's defense, he got hurt. You know, he had two concussions. And, you know, and so, you know, that's that was different. But, like, they just didn't have the years that they expected or we expected. And my point to that was just like, you know, now, like, they, they want something. Well, we wanted it for them, too. Like, it wasn't like someone, anybody was holding them back. And now by moving, you don't change anything outside of Matt being more healthy. That's going to help him because he's a good player. But like getting into different roles or getting somewhere, like when you like put up numbers and you talk about things and you talk about different guys developing, like we've had a lot of that. We've had a lot of guys get better and develop. And so, but no, back to your your, your statement of that, that that was definitely, you know, my point. It's always been my point about about getting better, getting better by adding people that want to be there and getting better by guys moving on who don't and the last thing i want to ask you i was around for the beginning of your time uh at purdue and i'm not trying to to date you here but you'll be you'll be 50 years old soon what would what would almost 50 year old matt painter tell the 33 34 35 year old matt painter who is stepping into Mackey arena um as an employee at purdue for the first time well you know what we got some really good coaches at Purdue and uh, I was fortunate I got hired by Morgan Burke who just passed away and uh, he gave me an opportunity of a lifetime and uh, but we have a swim coach named Dan Ross and I walked into one of my first meetings and I knew him uh, for him being there but I wasn't close to him at that time and he just said you know you're a lot bigger than you think you are as the head coach at Purdue and you're a lot smaller than you think you are as the head coach at Purdue and that was some good advice I've always I've always liked tried to be um, as humble as I can be. Um, they, my wife says, like, why don't you wave? Or, like, why don't you, like, wave at me, like, in, in the crowd? Or, like, when you see, like, what's going on, I'm like, I, I, I feel bad for the guy that just lost if we won. I don't feel real bad about it. But it's like, I just know how he feels. Like, you know what I mean? I just, that's a terrible feeling. So I shake people's hands. I try to keep my head down and just walk and move on. Um, when you lose, like, you're just, you know, you're upset. You know, when you win, then, like, you know, just show some class, man. Don't You don't have to stick it to somebody. Just walk off the court and get with your team in the locker room. And uh, But just, you know, stay as grounded as you can be. I, I'm, I, I really believe I'm in this position and I've stayed in this position because of the people that have helped me. Gene Cady, Bruce Weber. And so, like, the blueprint of, like, Purdue basketball – um, but also, um, just, you know, you're a replacement. It's the best way I can put it. We're all replacements. And like, if you think if they wouldn't fire me tomorrow and Purdue wouldn't still have their season, you know, you're crazy. This, this goes on with or without me. So, you know, be thankful and be grateful for the opportunities that I've had, but the right place at the right time twice. Um, but ju- just, just be thankful for everything that you've had in this business because not everybody's gotten the breaks that I've gotten and make the most of them. Like do everything in your power. I've always tried to learn from
from our mistakes. Basketball-wise, I do a lot of things differently. Uh, but you learn. You learn through competition. I, I learn every day. I, I try to still go to clinics and different things and, uh, and just try to grow my knowledge of what's going on, try to grow my knowledge of the people that I'm coaching. You can learn a lot, you know, from your players too. And um, you know, I, I think that's, you know, really important for, for me to keep uh, in check. And I've been outspoken about things, you know, as they go on, like, you know, five, 10 years ago, there's no way I would, I would speak openly about certain things, especially the transfers and that kind of stuff. And, um, but I've, I, as time's gone on, just try to be, as honest and straightforward um, as you can, you know, I think that's an important piece as you as you go on in coaching. You know, just you know, be able to speak your mind when you you feel that it's the right thing. Well, coach, I certainly appreciate you hopping on here and, and spending some time with us. I hope the summer's going well up there in West Lafayette, and uh, look forward to another successful year of Purdue basketball on the horizon. All right, man. Thanks for having me on, Shark. Appreciate it. Take care, Coach.